<laughs> we, I want to find those clues. I want to find that treasure. We don't, we don't just stumble upon treasures. You don't just accidentally find a rare treasure. The wisest people have spent their lives pursuing wisdom. This whole idea of wisdom we've been looking at, it's like a treasure. Scripture compares it to looking for a treasure and how it, it takes everything we have. We have to pursue wisdom with everything we have. Solomon, one of the guys, he's the king of Israel. He was not your ordinary king. He was actually a wise, wise leader. And he was, he was very, very rich. His wealth, it fascinated all sorts of treasure hunters through the centuries. People who wanted to find Solomon's mines, his hidden mines, actually is what kind of, uh, you know, sparked the curiosity towards the whole Indiana Jones adventures was this whole idea of finding Solomon's mines. Because in the mines, apparently there's just gold and gems and all this priceless you know, all this wealth. And who knows if we're ever going to find, if anybody's going to ever find Solomon's, you know, wealth and those, and those hidden treasures. But the location of one of his mines is actually something that has been disclosed to us. The mine of wisdom. He, he was one of the wisest men and he has communicated to us. God used him to, to speak to us through the scriptures. <clears throat> so we get all sorts of wisdom that God has given to us in the Bible. One of the verses that, that it's Proverbs 23, 23. Solomon said, Buy the truth, do not sell it. Wisdom, discipline, and understanding. There's this idea that it is worth everything. It's cost. You know, once you find wisdom, once you're on the verge of finding wisdom, once you've found the road to wisdom, you know, don't get off that road. Stay focused on this. That's really what we're going to look at today, the journey. What does that journey look like? What would take us off the journey? Uh, Israel's King Solomon, if you like, you can follow along. We have a listening guide in the top. You see this. Israel's King Solomon, he tried to find the worthwhile life. He wanted to find a life that was full of meaning. He wanted to make sure that he was pursuing something that actually would be fulfilling. And so what we see in this book of Ecclesiastes is kind of a documentation of his pursuit in life, of, of the, worthwhile, the worthwhile life. You can read about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2 especially, he talks about some of the different places that he went looking for pleasure. I'm not going to, it's not up on the screen yet, but in these nine verses, he says he, he went after wine, he went after wisdom, after folly, he went, he built things, he undertook projects, he, he had all of this land and he developed the land with gardens and parks. It says that he had servants who served him in his house. He amassed silver and gold and treasures greater than anyone that had ever lived. It says also that he became, <clears throat> he had acquired singers, men and women singers. He had a harem. So he's this guy, basically he just went after whatever he wanted. He pursued all of these things in order to look for what would be worthwhile, what would bring his life together, give him meaning. And so that really is summed up in this first point. Solomon tried the pleasure path. He tried, and you see this in the first nine verses, he tried this path of pleasure. Look at... <clears throat> Kind of the summary of his pursuit for pleasure is in verse 10. It says this, Solomon said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Basically, he saw something, he, he, he would buy it. He would get it. He saw someone that he wanted to be with, he would have her. He, nothing, 
you know, any pleasure, any desire he had, he satisfied all his desires. And it says this, my heart took delight in all my work. This was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. It's like he said, I went down the pleasure path and I get to the end of it and I found that it was like chasing wind. I couldn't, I thought this was going to be a worthwhile pursuit and I couldn't grasp it. It left me empty. So we try something else. Solomon next, he tried the success path. He tries the success path, which we often do. You know, we go after our careers. We pursue uh, success, achievement. We reach one thing and then we see the next goal. We're never really satisfied on the success path. Look what Solomon said. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days is work and all his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. You ever had that? Like you're working hard on the success path and you get and it's just not enough. You know, you go to you can't even really get good rest. And Solomon's saying, again, this is meaningless. And so he made some conclusions. Find these in the end of that chapter. Here's the first conclusion. He concluded that the worthwhile life is first enjoying what is going on daily. Enjoying the journey, he's saying, enjoy it. And find satisfaction in what you do. He says this in Ecclesiastes, verses 24 and 25 in the second chapter. He says, a man can do no better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. So he's gone through this journey. He says, this is, enjoy it. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment? Second, he says this, to live in a manner that's pleasing to God. This is one of the great discoveries he found was, you know, it's not just about the pleasure, it's not just the success. He said the worthwhile life is about living in a manner that actually pleases God. There's some things that come to those who set their hearts to please God. They make that their their path. They decide, I'm going to, I'm going to please God with my life. Look at what the scripture promises. It says, to the man who pleases him. There's a way that pleases him, and then there's there are many ways of life that don't please him. But he says, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom. So wisdom comes to those who set their heart to please God. And happiness comes, and knowledge. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Some work really hard at the wrong things, only to see it all blow away. Their wealth, all their hard work goes to someone else. To the man who pleases God, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. That's the the conclusion that Solomon came to. But one of the questions that I think comes to our minds as we look at this is, is there really a path that leads to wisdom? Because he he picked some paths that didn't lead him there. So what is the path? And I want to look at a few verses in Proverbs and then... We're going to study three ideas that come through these two passages. So, wisdom is only found within certain boundaries. This is what we find out in the Bible. Wisdom is only found within certain boundaries. Look at Proverbs 8, verse 20 and 21. This is like wisdom is talking. Wisdom is being personified as a woman. She's, she's talking and she says this. I walk, I wisdom in a sense, walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth Bestowing wealth on those who love me and make their treasuries full. <clears throat> so these these two words that we've got to underline up here are like clues. Okay, These are clues. There's another one we're going to look at. But righteousness and justice, these are clues. Wisdom walks along, 
You know, wisdom walks alongside righteousness and justice. These two things lead us and keep us on the path of wisdom. Then the next verse, verse 12, another thing about wisdom says, I wisdom dwell together with prudence. Prudence, the new, new word we're going to look at. I possess knowledge and discretion. So wisdom is three-dimensional. Three-dimensional. We're going to really look at these three ideas. Righteousness, justice, and prudence. What those things mean. And how they set the boundaries on our pursuit for wisdom. If we'll stay on track with these three areas, righteousness, justice, and prudence, then it keeps us on the path to wisdom. If we step off the path of righteousness, justice, and prudence, we find ourselves heading in a new direction towards folly. We, we miss we, we miss out on really understanding how to do life God's way. So I want to look at these three areas. First, wisdom is three-dimensional. Towards God, it's righteous. It's righteous. The word righteous, it actually means the state of doing what's right or required according to a standard. To do what's required according to God's standards. To live and to walk in line with God's standards is to live righteously. It's defined a few ways in Scripture. First, though, it's, it's loving God with all your heart. To live a righteous life is to love God with all your heart. Desiring Him is to be at the top of our priority list. This is what we're to do. Is Our very life exists to love Him. Deuteronomy 6.5 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We do this whenever we give God our very best. Our best energy, our best time, our best hours, our best efforts, our best passion. Whenever we pursue Him, First, above all else, we're doing this. We're loving Him with our whole heart. Another mark of righteousness is very similar. It's loving the Son. To love the Son is a mark of righteousness. Jesus said this. Jesus said this in John fourteen twenty one. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me, Jesus again, he who loves Jesus will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him. And show myself to him. Jesus is God in the flesh. He, he took on human form. He lived as a man. And he called people to follow him as Lord, as master, as boss. And one thing is, you can't have two lords. You know, you can't have this guy as Lord and this guy as Lord. You've got to pick, you've got to pick a master. You've got to pick a boss. And so, we can't really divide that. We can't divide our devotion. Whenever we love the Son, we're actually seeking to please to please Him. We're trying to carry out His wishes, His His desires. And so around here at our church, we like to use the phrase that um, as a church, we're trying to help all people to come to know Jesus Christ and become fully devoted followers of Him. That phrase, fully devoted follower of Christ, is a big part of why we exist. We're trying to help people connect with, with Jesus Christ and not divide their devotion to all sorts of things, but to... to, to to develop a relationship to where they be, are growing to become more and more fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Does that describe you? Do, do you love the Son? Sometimes what happens in life is we spiritually drift. And spiritual drift can happen quickly where we don't even realize it. It's like a tire and how there can be this little leak in our tire and slowly we don't realize that the pressure eventually is all gone and we find ourselves riding on the rim. Quickly, our spiritual passion can quietly just kind of slip away. And this whole idea of loving the Son, we, we, we lose, you know, we wanted to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. We set out to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, but we unintentionally become a full-time dad 
or a full-time mom or a full-time banker or a full-time, you know, whatever it is we are, a full-time businessman, businesswoman, and a part-time follower of Jesus Christ or an occasionally devoted person. We, this whole idea of loving the Son, we, we, we slip into being a seasonal fan of Jesus. And so, Sometimes God gets our attention in this area. We recognize, wow, I, I've drifted spiritually to where my love for, for the Son, for Jesus Christ, has, has diminished. And sometimes God gets, us our, gets our attention with things and we, we don't respond to Him. He shows us, yeah. Or we recognize how our love for Him has diminished and we kind of like, it's kind of like watching TV and you see something and you're like fascinated by it and you, and then it's over. You flip the channel and you find something else fascinating for a while. <laughs> and again, we lose focus. Sometimes spiritually we do the same thing. We recognize God shows us that our love for Him is diminishing. And we just kind of, we, we catch it, but then we do nothing with it. But this is a mark of righteousness. This is also, it's just a great time to get back on track with God. If you recognize, you know, I'm drifting spiritually. I'm not on track with Him. Don't treat it like the TV. Don't treat God like the TV and just fascinate it for a while and then flip the channel. Respond. When he gets your attention in an area, respond to him. This is a mark of righteousness, loving the Son. Another mark of righteousness is found on the back is being holy as he is holy. Being holy as he is holy. Holy, the word holy means sacred. It means separate, devoted. In the Bible, there's the word holy comes up Throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament, you see there's holy objects, certain objects that were dedicated to God. They would be used in worship, and they were separated. They would be, they weren't to be handled by everyone. They were to be separated. There was a holy place. Not everybody could go to the holy place. The holiest place only once a year the high priest could enter in. And again, this idea, it's, it's separate. God God's described as the Holy One. Angels, in the book of Isaiah, the angels were saying, holy, holy, holy. They're, they're declaring that God, he, is, he stands far apart from anything else in the world. This idea of holiness, this is who God is. He's, he, he's set apart from us. In the New Testament, this word, this idea of holiness is applied to Christians. You see that some of the authors of the Bible use the words saints when he's talking about the Christians. That means the holy ones. And the idea is that these are people who have been set apart for God's purposes. They've been, they're different. They're not like everyone else. They're different from the world. And the reason is because they've been forgiven. God no longer sees those who've yielded their lives to Him, who've received Christ into their life and, and yielded their lives to Him. He no longer sees them for their pasts. He no longer sees us for our past. He no longer sees us for all the, the junk in our pasts. He looks at the forgiveness. He looks at us as righteous people because of the work of Jesus Christ. He set us apart. So this is a call. When, he, when the Scripture says, be holy as He is holy, it's a call to move in a new direction. Holiness demands determination. Look at this verse. Peter, one of the church leaders, he wrote this. He said, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had. When you lived in ignorance. Or don't slip back way into your old way of doing life. Don't slip back there. It's going to tug on you. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, 
God is holy. He's exalted. He's worthy of devotion. Be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The idea is God is holy. We're his children. And children reflect, they, they're to reflect their parents. So he's saying, you know, be set apart. God has called us to live a life that reflects his holiness. In the way that we work, he wants us to be different. At work, he wants us to have a different quality of work. The way that we work. When we're, when we're in secret, holiness. In our thoughts, he wants our thoughts to be holy. Our words, just a life that reflects his holiness. These three areas that <clears throat> really capture this idea of righteousness. Loving the, loving the Father with our whole heart. Loving God with our whole heart. Loving the Son. And then being holy. These are a major part of the Christian life. And wisdom, the scripture says, wisdom walks in the way of righteousness. Whenever we decide to live righteously, it's a choice <clears throat> to live righteously. We choose to keep God as the top in our lives. We stay on the path of wisdom. We stay. It's like he, it's like he can continue. Things continue to open up to us. We continue to make sense of, of things from the scripture as we walk in righteousness. <clears throat> so towards him, we choose righteousness. Towards others, another word here that we see is wisdom walks along the path of justice. So it's righteous. It's also justice. Justice, to be just, this word is very similar to righteous. It carries the idea of doing what is right, but towards people. You're choosing to treat people according to God's standards. We do this most simply when we love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus, he summarized a good portion of the Old Testament law when he said this. He said the second, he's talking about, someone asked him, what commandments, are the, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with everything, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thanks, God. I must be needing this. So I'll trust you. It's good. But secondly, he says, the second most greatest is to love your neighbor as yourself. Who here loves themselves? Let's be honest. Honestly, we all do, don't we? We all love ourselves. And because we do, we take care of ourselves. We look out for ourselves. We get up. We brush our teeth. We shower. We clean. We, you know, we're, we're concerned with ourselves. Justice towards other people extends that same kind of love and care and concern that we have for ourselves. It just extends it to other people. It doesn't stop at our own lives, but justice looks out and aims to, to have that same care for people in our family, for, for people we work with. And so Paul, first century church starter, he said it this way. He said, be imitators of God. Again, he starts with God and he sets this high standard. Imitate God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. How does that look? To live a life of love. What would that look like? He, he continues that thought and he said, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't offer his life as a sacrifice because we deserved it. He became an offering for us because we needed forgiveness. He knew what we needed most. And so as we relate to others, one of the pressing questions is, what do they need most? What do they need right now? How can I show them love, care? Sometimes we see people broken down in their lives and we just pass by, but when we're broken down, we really, really appreciate it when people stop and help us. When people stop, take the time, help us get back up on our feet. 
we really hope someone will hurry up and, and help us. So loving others, it really stretches us to do that, to extend that care that I have for myself to other people. Love stretches us in a couple ways. It's not in your outline, but it's up on the screen. First, loving others really stretches us to bear with one another. When we love people, we just we bear with people. We bear with people's annoying habits. They bear with ours. We we bear with their bad days. We bear with crankiness. It just means that when it's when people are are not on their on their best, when they're not doing great, you know, we don't just respond to them in the way that they treat us. We we bear with people. We love them. We consider, you know, that there's probably something going on in their world right now. We can choose to bear with people. Loving others stretches us in that way. Another thing is, loving others really stretches us to forgive. To forgive. For, forgiveness is this idea of, of it's, ju- it's a justice idea. So forgiveness is it's an expression of love. Look at what Colossians says. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, we hurt each other. and he, What he's saying is to love each other, to show justice is, it's, it's going to take a lot of bearing with. We're we're difficult. We're a difficult group of people, aren't we? I mean, we we all we all struggle. We make mistakes in our relationships. And forgiveness is is far from easy. God, He has forgiven us freely and completely, without strings attached. And so, that's how we're supposed to forgive others. Jesus actually, in His model prayer, when He was teaching His followers on how to pray, He said this. He said, "Forgive us." He says, "Pray this. Forgive us our sins." For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. He makes a connection there of how important it is that we understand our forgiveness. We, we, you know, most of us, when we blow it, we recognize, we, we often come to the point that we need to confess that to God. Sometimes it's a little thing and we say, God, I really, I blew it. I didn't realize that this little thing was a pretty big deal. And I, I confess that. I call it what it is. Would you forgive me of that? Sometimes we have these massive things. We really blow it. And we crawl to God and we, God, I have blown it. Would you forgive me for this? And, and, and he does, doesn't he? Or even just we recognize maybe you've become a Christian. You came to a point where you were going your own way in life and God got your attention. You recognize, wow, I'm, I'm doing life independent from God. I need to turn around towards God. Repent of my sins. Turn away from my old way of doing life, and I come to God and ask Him, God, would you forgive me of my sins? I want to love, I want to live for you, serve you as Lord of my life. And he, and he says, yes. And we receive that freely. And we're like, God, you're so good. Thank you for forgiving me. But then other people get in our lives. We have rough interaction. Someone hurts us, and we think, man, I hate that person. Or, or, or we're just unwilling to forgive we get torn in wanting to obey God. We really want to obey God, but we get torn in wanting to hate others for the way that they've wronged us. But forgiveness, this idea is, it's a decision based on our choice to obey Scripture. It's not a decision based on whether we feel like forgiving. Forgiveness has everything to do with a decision to obey. It doesn't have to do with our feelings. I was mistreated at a job while I was engaged to be married. I, I was working this job. I thought this was going to be the the job that really provided for my my new you know bride, and we were getting married. And I was mistreated for like nine months. And I finally realized, man, I am a few months from getting married, and I can't. This job is I, I better get out. The company was mistreating me. Really, 
had been really rude at times, mistreating my wife as well. And I'm like, man, and I was ticked. And I left that place and I thought, I, I really, really dealt with a lot of bitterness. I was angry. I didn't want to forgive. And then God brought this whole area of forgiveness up. And he began to like pressure in this area of forgiveness. Josh, you need to forgive those people. You can get past that. And as I did that, as I got to the point where I was ready to choose forgiveness, I was able to take off that unbearable backpack that I'd been carrying around, of that, that bitterness, that hatred. I was able to move on. It opened up growth again spiritually. Anytime we choose to be unforgiving, what we're doing is, in a way, we're losing perspective of the forgiveness that God has granted to us, the way that He's offered forgiveness to us. We also just, we, we, we slow down and almost cut off the ability to walk in the way of wisdom if we choose unforgiveness. Sometimes we think, well, I'm just going to choose this for a while. But what we're doing is we're stepping off the path of wisdom or we're wandering off on our own. And there's consequences when we do that. Wisdom walks along the way of righteousness, along the path of justice. So these two areas are clues that keep us along the path. The third one is this. Towards our goals, it's prudent. It's effective. Prudence isn't a term that we often use today. The, the prudent person can evaluate and read situations and people. The Old Testament term for prudence, it describes a specific type of wisdom that knows how to avoid traps and trouble. Sometimes we interact with people and um, we don't realize we stepped into a, a scheme, a plot. And only later... After we've joined up with people, we recognize we've been duped. And, and, and we, lose, we lose traction. We lose money. We lose time. We lose traction in life. And so the wise person, he, he or she has prudence. The ability to read situations in people and recognize when there's a plot developing, when there's a scheme. I've had people in my life that, that come and they've got this great idea. And sometimes... The great idea, if we join in with it, it would be disastrous. And I think we've all kind of joined some great ideas. I know I have. And this idea of prudence, it's, it's really taking a look and understanding what's going on. This is something I want my children to develop. I want them to be able to grow up in life and to have prudence, to be able to, to read a situation, to know which friends to pick, to know which friends to avoid, to know which opportunities to let pass and to know which ones to step towards. This is the idea of prudence. There are many, many schemers in this world. Just yesterday I was sitting in a coffee shop and I was reading. And as I was thinking about this idea, there was a, a, a group of three salesmen. And they were, they were scheming their sales strategy. And it was slimy and it was shysty. And I'm just like, man, this is horrible. And I'm just listening to, well, if they say this, then you hit them with this. And if they say this, you hit them with this. And I mean, I did sales for a while, and I remember this, this feeling sometimes of, I can't go there. I can't, there's, there's some lines, isn't there? And for those of you in business and in sales, you know that there are things that, you know, there are promises you want to make, but do you know that's just not right? And so, this idea of prudence has to do with being able to identify, this is a scheme. This is a schemer. I, I shouldn't do business. With this person. This will cost me years. This will cost me time, money, relationships. This will cost me. This is an area that God wants us to pick up on. Look at what this type of person is described as a wise man here in Ecclesiastes. 
Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. A person with prudence has tremendous leadership because they have a track record of good decisions. We want prudent people to lead things in church life. We want prudent people to lead things in business. We want prudent people to lead things in government. Because the prudent person, they know the proper timing. They know the proper procedure. They don't just go off and execute every idea that comes along the way. So this whole idea of prudence, again, it's a clue. This keeps leading us. Imagine there's a path leading us to wisdom. Along the way, there's three things that we need to keep coming back to. There's righteousness towards God. There's justice towards towards others. And there's prudence towards our goals. That's that's the path that leads us to wisdom. It's a three-dimensional picture. Whenever you're just prudent and you're just effective, you're just all about that, but you leave out righteousness and justice, you end up just being a schemer. You end up just being crafty. Whenever you exercise just righteousness and justice alone and you trust everyone, you're not prudent, you find yourselves, again, believing that life is way, you know, it's just really simple. It's not all that complex. And so, again, you find yourself actually backtracking or getting off the path of wisdom. So together, these three areas, they just keep leading us towards wisdom. Next week, what we're going to look at is, how does wisdom go astray? Can I just grow in wisdom and then be safe and secure? Next week, we're going to look at some people who had tremendous wisdom and then lost their grip on reality and and really um, suffered tremendous consequences because of straying off the path of wisdom. And that's how we're going to wrap up wrap up this message series. There's a few other things you might want to note on the outline. Walking in wisdom, we don't, we're not going to get into these this morning, but involves first entering through the fear of the Lord. We looked at this, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We break through into wisdom first by connecting with God. The fear of the Lord, it's the breakthrough point of wisdom is when we establish a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, we walk daily as a follower of Jesus Christ. We choose to continue to walk on with Him in wisdom. That's why things like like we've been reading, we have this bookmark that we distributed and just encourage people to read a proverb a day through the month of July and just kind of mark them off as you go. As these line, proverbs you know, lined up with the month of July, you know, as you do that, you're walking with Jesus Christ daily. You're you're yielding to Him. Oftentimes, we read Scripture. If we'll if we'll read Scripture, what happens is God shows us, well, you're kind of drifting here, Josh, and it gives us a chance to just get back on track, begin moving forward again with Him. So, let, let's uh, take a look at these next steps. These are some ways you can respond to this morning's message. First, read Proverbs 25 through 31 this week. Maybe that's something you just. Want to just continue on that journey of reading through the Proverbs? We encourage you to do that and finish out the book of Proverbs. Secondly, you might be at a point where for the first time, you need to break through into wisdom through a commitment to Jesus as Lord. You, maybe you've never done that. and I, I'd encourage you to check that next step. These are actually on the back of the connection card as well. We'll be passing these in in just a few moments. That last step we actually didn't get into. Identify the major realms of responsibility that may be causing problems in my life. But one thing I would add, you might want to add another next step, is just think through these three areas, righteousness, justice, and prudence. And just ask yourself, where am I at in these things? Towards God, are my ways righteous? Towards others, am I acting justly? Are my, you know, looking towards their, their needs, their concerns, their cares? You know, or do I need to maybe sharpen up in this area of prudence? 
So consider where, where the application is for you this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for, again, thank you for your word and just the way that, God, you communicated truths to us, God, that help us understand how life really works. Father, if we can get a hold of how reality works, Lord, then our purpose, our meaning, Lord, it all comes together, Lord, as we understand how you have made and designed life to really work. I pray that we wouldn't miss it, Lord, that we wouldn't just walk through this life on our own, pursuing our own pleasure, pursuing our own success, and then winding up empty. God, help us, Lord, to to step on the path of wisdom. I do pray that if there's people here that have never yielded their lives to you, never made Jesus the boss of their lives, that they would communicate that to us today on their connection card, Lord, and that you'd help us to begin that conversation, helping them to, to begin that journey with you. We thank you for that, the way you offer that to us freely, Lord. Also pray for for this area of just understanding how to stay on the path. and Lord, we want our ways to want to live righteously before you we do want to treat others justly we also pray that you'd help us in this area of prudence lord just help us to pinpoint an area of application for this morning god to know just an area to focus as we look at this again this week i pray that you'd remind us of some of these things lord it's in jesus name we pray amen